Hello there. Welcome back to episode 12 of the Inward Matrix podcast. Yes, it's a dirty dozen. And what better guest could we hope for than to have our pal, uh, author, uh, general, internet overlord, uberlord, and just a, a all-round good, good, decent guy with a seriously sharp, uh, razor-sharp whip, Mr. Jeffrey Dicker. And this time, he's joining us all the way from beautiful Los Angeles in California, uh, where he has repositioned himself, and uh, I'm sure we'll be asking him all about that. And um, this is one of those Anything Goes, where we touch on not only the author's work and life, uh, but also the spiritual aspects of what's going on in this day and age. Um, we'll, we'll try and keep it as, uh, as clean as possible. Um, well, no, I'm just kidding. No, we won't. Um, we'll try not to offend anybody as usual. So I hope you'll enjoy uh, this as much as we enjoyed recording it. Uh, this is also out in a video cast. Um, if you look to uh, BitChute, it might possibly be on YouTube or, or a taster on YouTube. Um, but for the moment, it'll be on BitChute under the uh, Post-Concussion Syndrome Awareness Worldwide channel uh, or Post-Concussion uh, Syndrome Awareness Podcast channel on BitChute. So here we go. Right, ladies and gentlemen, echoes, boys and girls, whoever else may be listening, I'm happy to welcome back for episode 12 of the Inward Matrix podcast, the fantastic, the wonderful, the sharp-witted, the intelligent, <laughs> the lively, the Mr. Back in La La Land, Jeffrey Dicker. Thank you, Dave. Hey, how's it going, man? I'm great, how are you? I'm good, and um, I think uh, it's... A little different today because we've both got sunshine. So uh, well, we always have sunshine in La La Land. So yeah, yours is by the, default. The sun is coming up as we speak. Um, it's it's uh, seven in the morning my time. So um, this podcast will start probably getting brighter as the uh, as we start talking. Straight up, man. Then it's <laughs> the like, sun starts to peak its way out. Yeah, and it's like yeah. Saturday afternoon here, three o'clock. Just you know, like kickoff time. It's that kind of day time of day as well. So. Uh, yeah, I've had a really lively morning. It's weird saying that to you, like you know, when you just you just got out of bed. So it's like, whoa. So, um, would you just like to start first of all, Jeff, by telling us a little bit about yourself, or telling the people watching and listening at home again a little bit about yourself and what you've been up to recently, and also your new book in Bad Company, please. I would love to tell you about it. Um, so yeah, I um, have written ten books, which I have sitting here next to me. I'll it's really, it's really heavy. So let me <laughs> let me do my workout here. Lift. Whoa! <laughs> this oh, is the Jeffrey Dicker collection. Um, yeah. We can we can maybe get into some of those later. Um, but uh, the books range from poetry to humor. Um, the last few have been novels. I've done some short stories and a play. And the most recent one, which we'll talk about, um, is called In Bad Company, mm-hmm. and uh, it focuses on two best friends who start their own PR firm and they run out of money. So they enlist one of the, one of the kids, rich families to help them out. And then the next thing you know, they're all working together. Oh, Um, I like the sound of that. And and hilarity ensues. Perhaps, perhaps if you'd like, we can uh, give the viewers and listeners a uh, little sneak preview. Yeah, go for it. Please do. I mean, we'll have to write the second, but I'm just saying. <laughs> we, yeah. have, we have plenty of time. Yeah, mm. yeah feel free to break, break into song anytime, right? 
Um, so, as well, yeah, you, 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 you're generally feeling more relaxed and better since you moved back to um, Los Angeles. And, and... Yeah, it's, um, it's a weird thing. So I grew up in Southern California, which is about, uh, well, LA is in Southern California, but um, I, I grew up maybe an hour drive from Los Angeles. Mm. And um, I li- you know, I've lived here my whole life, pretty much. So I, you know, kind of got sick of it. And then I, I took a little detour, moved to New York for over a decade, and then moved to Chicago. And I'd come back and visit family and stuff like that for holidays, and I was really kind of over it. And now that I'm back here, I, I'm, I'm loving it again. It, but it's it's a weird thing because it's partially because of lockdown. Oh, um, yeah. And, it's, and it, it's because, yeah. like, you know, traffic is usually terrible. Usually the streets are super crowded, and right now it's not so bad. Mm. So... I'm kind of enjoying the the fact that people are staying in, and a lot of people are too afraid to go out and do things. So if you don't, if you have that mindset of like, well, I don't really care what happens to me. So are you are you hoping it'll end end up like Songbird then? Am I what? Are you hoping it'll end up like Songbird? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, crazy. So yeah, and, yeah, strange times, and. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's good that you're back in that mindset as well, and and yeah, sometimes it is it's really good to reconnect with your roots because sometimes and not only that, but the um, you know, living in Chicago and New York, it, it's mm. it's cloudy and rainy a lot, yeah. and I never realized what they always say like vitamin D makes you happier and whatnot, and I mean it's it's so true because it's pretty much sunny all year round in in LA, and it's mm. I, I do notice a difference, which I, I hadn't. In a previous incarnation of myself. Yeah, I suppose suppose you kind of get get used to that as well, and uh, get get used to not having it, and then again, and then you go back to it, and it's like, wow, I forgot how good this was. Yeah, yeah, I I didn't I didn't appreciate it when I lived here because I didn't know any different. Mm. I just thought the whole world was sunny all the time, and you know, sort of a a, uh, metaphor for life. Yeah, (laughs) the whole world was sunny all the time. Yeah, of course. Yeah. we, we kind of get that here where it's, yeah, we're getting this bit of sun now, but a few weeks ago it was just like grey and snow and rain 24-7. So we get the contrast sometimes day by day and like we, we, we still love to complain about the weather, yeah. So, um, yeah, as well as your books, do you want to uh, tell people a little bit about, uh, you know, kind of your, other things that you do as well and, and you work on the internet and you work in uh, Yeah, in so... Um... I, uh, it's now it's now a defunct website, but I used to run a uh, art and music website when I lived in New York. And um, my my shtick, as it were, was to only write about things I went to. <laughs> yeah. So um, I covered primarily art and music, and in New York, and um, New York has opportunities, endless opportunities. And um, so I challenged myself to sort of cover everything in, in real life and so I went out pretty much like seven nights a week for like eight years <laughs> um, so had quite a lot of experiences I met a ton of rock stars um, all the pictures you see behind me are photos I've taken at mm-hmm. concerts um, probably the quality isn't the greatest but the uh, you know a lot of these names that are on the wall behind me are some of the world's greatest rock stars from uh, Tina Turner and Prince uh Madonna, Phil Collins, Robert Plant, David Gilmore, mm. uh, Boy George, Fleetwood Mac, Depeche Mode. <laughs> <You finished>. so, <laughs> so. And 
goes on and on. I mean, I, I always joke, there's, there's 35 photos, and I always joke to my friends, I'm like, these are 35 of my favorite <laughs> concert photos I've taken. So I'm very grateful, very blessed to have had these opportunities, and uh, hopefully if the world opens up again, there'll be more. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I thought the other day the last gig I went to was the 29th of January 2020. That seems like an awful long time ago, man. Yeah, um, we, I, uh, my Facebook memories came up the other day and I went to my last, it was um, an Amy Winehouse tribute band, which is funny because I've seen the real deal. Mm. And so we went, um, and it, so I was living in Chicago at the time and um, marijuana had just become legal. And so it was pretty <laughs> funny that we, we rolled some joints to bring to this concert because it was like, oh my God, this is the first time we can like legally smoke pot at a concert. And yeah. um, we went outside and all these people that were smoking cigarettes were like, oh my God, you have pot? Can we share? And so we were like, sure. sure. And so we must have passed around joints with like 10 or 12 strangers. <laughs> and then like you find out like there's a global pandemic and it was like, oh, that was really bad. So luckily we all survived. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, sure. <laughs> I'm sure you didn't kill anyone <laughs> by doing that, you know. So um, yeah, the last, yeah, it just seems so long ago now. It's like a faint, yeah. faint memory of like, oh, I once went on holiday somewhere and it was like, kind of like that. But yeah, mine was still Joel Simpson at Manchester. Uh, oh, nice. The Ritz and he was like, he's banging it, you know. Weird audience that night. They were just kind of stood there like watching him because he's not really a showman, but he, I was like digging it. I was down at the front and then at the end, I just shouted out for the encore, uh, like call to arms and he played it and he went, you got it, brother. And he played that and they went <laughs> off and it was like, I was like, uh, that was an well, at least you went out on a high note. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we buzzing at the end. And I was like, wow. So, yeah, that was the last time. And uh, the, the concert before that, I, I saw Madonna, like, six months before that. I just, I, for some reason, when I was living in Chicago, I wasn't really going out to shows too much. Um, and then, <coughs> you know, now I'm kind of like, damn, I should have done, done more. But yeah. it's fine, you know. Yeah, you kind of do. Yeah. I was meant to see... Uh, at Mr. Morrissey in March time as well, but that didn't happen. No, and that was like a week or two before the lockdown uh, shutdown came in. Um, so it's worth noting at this point as well that for many bizarre reasons, this is my first podcast of the year. Uh, this is the first one, man. It's been really, really bizarre. January was a, a write-off. I was in kind of hermitage for many reasons, and I was I was waiting for some good news, something to come through, which did luckily, and and then I could relax. But now it was like getting to planning podcasts, as, you know, and and guests and things and so on as well. And then we had like Mercury retrograde in between. It's just been like kind of um, pulling teeth. It was, <laughs> like, it was that was a brutal one too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like I feel that I feel that Mercury retrograde lately is just it gets worse and worse, and it's just like oh my God, please. Yeah. Yeah, with, with the other stuff going on, it was kind of like, you know, uh, what was it, like, comfortable? Is there anybody out there? <laughs> is there anybody out there? <laughs> so it was, it was kind of like that. It was like, so I'm sure, yeah, now now once it's like, once you get back on the bike, that's it. You get riding, don't you? And the one before yeah. that, uh, just before Christmas, was uh, uh, Jess Peary's in South Africa. And I was chatting for about nearly three hours on ayahuasca and, and healing. So, yeah, that was the last one, like 9th of December or something. So it's been quite a big gap. So anyway, it's good to be back here and especially with you. Um, yes. So I want to start off by asking, uh, this is quite a controversial open question. What are your thoughts on the current, uh, is there any hope for 
masked humanity. <laughs> it's interesting. Um, my thoughts have sort of changed a little bit. Um, mm. I probably wasn't as happy as I am now the last time we spoke. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, you know, also Donald Trump was in office and in, in America, I'm sure it's like this all over the world, unfortunately, but in America, every conversation you get into with anybody, it leads back to politics, which is not mm. my topic that I like to discuss with anybody. And you almost become, you almost have no choice but to just start bitching about something or other. Yeah. And, um, I think that with him every day, you never knew what was going to happen. And, you know, it was kind of like everybody was just so stressed and so negative about everything. So it really didn't bode well to like kind of having like a a completely happy life just because even Mm -hmm. if you're happy, that dark cloud is still like looming in the distance. And now um, I feel that with him being out of office, it's a dark cloud has lifted a little bit, Mm -hmm. but I will say that, you know, I've done a lot of reading and they claim that, you know, the other side is equally as bad. It's just in a nicer package. So do I think that the world has gotten better? It's hard to say. I mean, I think that the sheep are still sheep and perhaps even have buried their heads in the sands even more. But it's like, you know, excuse the language, but it's like if they're going to serve you a shit burger, you'd like it, it, you'd like your server to be pretty. And with Donald Trump <laughs> serving to us, it was not pretty. And so it seemed more obvious, you know. And I, I, maybe you guys could say the same about Boris Johnson. It's like, you know. Where's all coming? What's that? Where's all coming? So anyway, so uh, regarding the mask situation, I mean, do I think that anything has really changed? Not necessarily. I mean, I think that there's tons of misinformation out there. Um, I'm really pissed that we live in a world that you even have to doubt that the government and you know people that are supposed to protect you are um, so dishonest that you don't you, you don't know every time there's a fact that's presented to you you sit there and you kind of go is that the truth or is it this way and then you start overthinking it and the, it, the fact that we even have to overthink anything and that we can't just like accept that they're going to take care of us is, is really sucky. And, um, yeah. and I, and I think that, you know, um, even some of my friends, you know, when we, when we have the, the discussion about masks and vaccines and whatnot, um, I, I personally don't think they're the be all end all solution. I, I personally think that there's lots of information we don't know. I think that there's a disclosure that you have to sign when you take it to not come back and sue later on. And that there's something very sinister about that. Yeah. And when I talk to some mm. of my, what I, what I call my smart friends, um, they are suddenly scientists. <laughs> they suddenly know the answers to everything. And, you know, they, they just, it's like, I, I hate to use the expression of drinking the Kool-Aid, but it's like the, it's the Kool-Aid has been drunk, <laughs> you know, and they are, has been drank, drunk, drunk. It's still early here. So, uh, bear with me audience. Um, but, uh, so it's, it's a little disheartening to know that, you know, like, for example, I like to always be a, um, troublemaker. And I like to, you know, if somebody says the answer is blue, I, I, I like to say, why is it blue? You know, give, give, tell me, tell me why you think that. And, um, 
you know, when it comes to the vaccine, for example, all you hear in, in American news anyway, all you seem to hear is there's new strains and they're more deadly and they're more uh, transmittable and this and that. And then, but there's a vaccine for this old one that we have. And so I say to people, well, how do you know that the vaccine is going to work on these new strains? Because they seem, there seems to be a new one every day and it seems to be deadlier than ever. So deadlier than ever seems to be not jiving with this is the vaccine that's for that one, for this new one. And that's when suddenly everyone is a scientist. Oh, it'll definitely work. <laughs> definitely? Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you're, and that's based upon what exactly? And then, and then suddenly I'm the asshole because I've challenged their belief system. So, you know, well, I, I do well, think that there's a big, huge divide still, and it's... it's yeah, you can have, yeah, you can have confirmation bias either way quite easily, can't you? And, and people generally do. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go into that personally. <laughs> any, any views that we kind of express on that subject, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, <laughs> I'm, you know, I think there's a, a line as well where you don't have, there's this, you, you have a right to a certain amount of uh, rational, logic, critical thinking. And if you have read, and I'm not talking about reading off of, Google posts and, and things that fact checkers have written on the internet. I'm not I'm not talking about the internet at all. But if you sat and read through and gone through the information over a long, long time, yeah, you can you can form uh, your own hypothesis, and that that's that's perfectly okay. But then to go and put that on other people and kind of ram it down the throats and try and convince them that you're right. It just all shrieks of like the same old kind of cancel culture uh, that we, you know. So, you know, I must admit personally, since this thing began, I've done hundreds and hundreds of hours of reading, watching lectures and, and questioning functional doctors and people like that. And, email. and I won't go out there putting my opinion onto other people. You know, I, I know the difference. I know what the actual scientific definition of a vaccine is and as opposed to... Um, so one that a jab or something that's not, because you know, it, it, there's like you said, there's so much obfuscation uh, by the people that are supposed to be looking after us that you, most people can't tell the wood from the trees. They can't tell what's right or wrong. So, right. I, I and then, but they, yeah. but they are convinced that they are no. Yeah, you, you can never be a hundred percent sure of anything. You couldn't ever be ninety nine percent sure. But in this cancel culture, it seems okay to be kind of like, well, I'm right, you're wrong, shut up, you know, kind of. <laughs> and it's unfortunate how we've got there so quickly, I think. Uh, yeah, it just it kind of shocks me that, and therefore I, d I don't get into discussions with people. If, if their mind's made up, I'm like, fine. Yeah, I, any, anybody, <laughs> like... Change the subject. You know, <laughs> yeah, whenever, like, you know, then, now that I'm back in Los Angeles and want to see my friends and things like that... Um, you know, some of my friends are not interested in hanging out. And, but then I find interesting, I, I'll say to somebody like, you know, we could go for a walk on the street. We'll stand six feet apart. We'll wear the masks. That part I have no problem with. I mean, I, do I want to wear a mask? No. But if that's what they claim is going to help us all, I'm happy to do my part. And I also, you know, LA is very much of a, you know, yeah. everyone's like trendy and wearing their little masks and so I don't want to get my ass kicked for not complying so I'm happy to do whatever it takes if that's what it, if the official version is that we have to wear a mask for six months fine yeah. not a big deal yeah. you know yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but I'll find that like my friends will not want to get together because it's too dangerous. And then I'm like, oh, what are you doing this week instead? And it's like, oh, I have the termite man coming to my house. And I'm like, so you have somebody that's <laughs> been in a bunch of people's houses that's a complete stranger, but then someone that you know and have known for decades you're not wanting to see. Okay, makes total sense. Yeah, well, yeah. I think yeah, we could. Okay, an echo there. Could you turn your speaker down a tiny bit, please, Jeffrey? Just a tinsy wincy. That's better. <laughs> so yeah, it is. It's it's kind of beyond cognitive dissonance at the moment, and it's it's it is. And I think you've just got to take a step back and take a breath and, and kind of let that person be in it rather than challenging them on it, because you're just going to make them more and more angry, and they're just going to get more and more dissonant. So, yeah, it is a time where, unfortunately, you know, kind of some people you had to take a bigger step back from. And you, you see people that you would never expect that seem to be very rational, intelligent, well-educated people are just kind of acting out of sheer primal fear and instinctual urges and things, and you're thinking, what on earth are you doing? This is not... This is not something I'd, I'd expect from you, you know, from, from your past behaviour. But it is that kind of, um, and I've just had a discussion with a friend this morning about the fear of death. How, how with it being hidden from people all their lives, that as soon as a situation comes on, along which appears to be, you know, kind of, well, you know, the, the, a real genuine um, fear, palatable fear of death, it can do some really weird things to people's brains. Um, Absolutely. Um, and yeah. it's... What, what I don't understand is that, you know, when we signed up for this life, in the fine print, it said, you will die. Yeah, guaranteed. And while, while I don't have a death wish, while I want to continue living and hopefully live a very long, healthy life, you know, yeah. I realized that something is going to get me one day. I don't know what, what that's going to be. I don't know when that's going to be. And... I'm okay with it. You know, if it, if it's COVID, if it's living till, you know, I'm 150, you know, one day my life will cease to exist and you have to just accept that. And people, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't want to put that upon anybody else, but it's like, I think with COVID, it's almost like people thought they were invincible. And now all of a sudden they realize that they're, they're mortal and they're going to go somehow. And it's, this yeah. has freaked people out to a level of, of not thinking clearly. And it's like, mm-hmm. And even when I bring up the thing I just said to you, people act like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And well, my, my, my theory is that if you, if you shine a spotlight on something and you put the spotlight on a subject that's never been covered, never been touched before, never been shown on, such as the subject of death and death from uh, diff- any types of coronaviruses, winter illness and so on as well, you're forcing people, you're shocking them into looking at something that has been going on since man time, woman time, immemorial. You know that every, every winter we know that our health service here is, is underfunded less. And every winter they put sto- you know, stories come out so they can get more money, they get more funding. And every winter it's, NHS is a crisis breaking point. It's terrible. We're all going to, you know, kind of, it's all going to collapse. And then we look back through the papers for the last 10 years, and it's the same story every year. And, and, our, and the government's here have just been like defunding it and privatising it bit by bit and destroying it. And then they're turning around to us and saying, well, no, it's all your fault. You, you've got to protect it now. And all you people that have got cancers and other things and all your uh, 
operations and consultations are going to be cancelled. So you can kind of like die later on because you've been uh, neglected whilst we deal with this. But it's all your fault. Everything's your fault. It's like the cycle of abuse in psychology that you get from a narcissist or a sociopath. It just keeps changing and undulating. And, uh, you know, the, the abuser, the perpetrator is never to blame. It's always a vic the, what is perceived Absolutely. as a victim. So, yeah, I kind of... If you don't understand that, though, and you've never been in an abusive relationship or you've not studied psychology or whatever, you won't know what's going on. It'll just seem random. <laughs> and so for most people, this is just like a bewildering, random kind of corkscrew roller coaster of a ride. And unfortunately for myself, I could see kind of see through a bit of it and see what's going on. So, yeah. And then you can only just try and bring comfort to people without scaring them yeah. too much. Yeah. And then another thing that that um, I've noticed, you know, I'm just kind of recently back to Los Angeles, mm -hmm. is the the homelessness is just out of control. You know, I there um, yeah. a lot of the streets are lined up with people like they they've they have tents and and their all their belongings are just in a little tent, and there'll be like six or seven of them in a row on a lot of streets, and it's like yeah. it's the saddest thing, you know, and um, it's it's a huge problem, and I don't know, I mean. I don't have the means to deal with it. You know, obviously I'm just a person trying to get by as well, mm. but I mean, I'm just seeing it more and more everywhere. And I'm like, well, why isn't this is a pandemic? You know, this is oh, a yeah. global tragedy and there's the, there's mm. the resources out there for all these people to have something and they're not dedicating these resources to these people. And I don't, I mean, I, I don't know how to make that point to anybody that has any power for, you know, but it's, it's really tragic. And I think another thing that's going to happen with, as a result of the virus is um, we're starting to see it now here anyway, that mm -hmm. businesses are starting to close in mass. Yes. And, you know, these are the, the trickle down effects of the roller coaster ride of like your business can be open. No, you can't. No, it's open. No, it can't be open. No, it, no it's open. Now it can't be open. And the people, you know, business owners are like, I've had enough. I can't, mm -hmm. I can't deal with this roller coaster anymore. And, yeah. You know the the little pittance they give you to like help your business is like, what are you going to do? Survive for one month? And the a lot of the people don't realize that these these loans that the the or these this these stimulus checks that they're the, our government is giving us are loans. They're not even the um the first stimulus that they gave us. It's whatever the amount was. It's when you do your taxes at the end of the year. You, oh, yeah. If you were to, to get a, receive a refund, you deduct the amount that they gave you for the stimulus check. So that's not even giving you money to help people. It's no. just like a temporary solution. So for people that didn't even want that money, that they're going to get, uh, you know, penalized for mm -hmm. later on. It's just it's so disgusting. And a electronics company that had been around for quite a while, they decided overnight to close. And like thousands of people became unemployed immediately, and I feel like we're going to start seeing that oh, yeah. over wow. and over again. And and then the homelessness is going to get even more under control because so many people, unfortunately, are one paycheck away from homelessness. Yeah, we've hardly begun with this with the actual shit show that's going to come. I feel, and uh, it it is it is in some aspects it is terrifying, especially if, with people that are literally one or two paychecks away from being on the streets. And, uh, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, I've been through that. I've been hopeless, just lost my house and stuff. And I know it's a horrific place to be because it, you feel like you're, you're kind of squashed 
right to the bottom rung, below the bottom rung of society. And you've got this, everybody looking down on you. Seriously, man, it's, it's, it is a fucking horrible place to be. But, you know, I was never as bad as, like, I mean, last night I binge watched the, uh, that, was it Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel? Or Cecil, oh. or as you say there. Um, and watched that, and by the end of it, it was kind of like, well, all right, it was a fairly straightforward story, but they dressed it up with disinformation in typical Netflix style. But they were showing like Skid Row and, and there, and there was like, well, that's been like that for decades. It's, you know, that, that area downtown LA has been obviously, <laughs> you know, no go area for most people for decades, even with the, you know, modern developments and stuff. But it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I keep hearing about people moving the other way and moving to other places to get to get away from that. So it's like, well, wow, yeah, you, you, that and the water, you know, the water crisis and stuff. You, it's just like, how the hell are you going to tackle that going forwards? And um, yeah, we, your stimulus checks and stuff. How much money has the Fed been printing? And how right, much? Which, which devalues the, the value of the money anyway. Yeah. And- I mean, there's just, there's so many, there's so many, like, it's like a circular series of problems that, yeah. are, that are not being solved. And then yes. again, you know, all these quasi smart people that think that, you know, that stimulus check is going to make any difference in people's lives. It's not. I mean, you know, I've been on unemployment before and all four weeks of my unemployment at that time were not even my rent. So that's not even one piece of food. That's not even one bill. That's not even one anything else you know and it's like it's a joke i mean you know i've I've paid into the system my whole life and then when i need the system to help me it's like tough you know and unfortunately that's what you get get in the hole and you get deeper and deeper and deeper because months go by and the next thing you know i mean it's not like you can just especially now you can't just go find a job i mean there's everyone's trying for the same thing and you know people are having to take less which I mean, every and that's the thing. Everything goes up except for your salary. Oh yeah, yeah, salaries are pretty static. And, and I, why people aren't speaking up about it? I mean, maybe they are, but I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like they're doing anything about it because, in my opinion, speaking up on Facebook and Twitter is bullshit. Is just is a is a waste of time. Yes, absolutely. You exactly. know, sharing every negative article that comes your way that mm-hmm. you didn't write yourself. Yeah. Just fucking get a life, people. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like shouting in space, isn't it? It's like a big, a big echo chamber full, full of other people all shouting at the same time. It's kind of, it, yeah, it does symbolise kind of madness, really, doing the same thing over and over again. And just while I remember, I actually rewrote, and I'm planning to record this little skit. Uh, I rewrote Howard Beale's speech. <laughs> for, for the COVID, and I, I've kind of got it here uh, to do. But, yes, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just working up because I've got to find somewhere where outside where I can record it without getting anyone call the cops on me. You know, because yeah, you oh, know, right. I don't have to tell you things are bad. <laughs> if you're shouting at that kind of volume, filming it, I don't want somebody look kind of like you know running up and you know kind of rugby tackling me because. So yeah, I've done it quite subtly. Done it uh, for the for the modern day. <laughs> so I might, I might try and do it tomorrow or or maybe Monday if it's quieter. Yeah, because we do get like some little spots that you think are quiet, and then all of a sudden that like, you get a group of tourists show up. So I, I might leave it till Monday. So yeah, I just thought that would be a good thing to do uh, to rewrite it for anyway. Yeah, so that will be out later, boys and girls. So yeah, going back to. 
the current issues and problems, yeah, every, the death of, in my opinion, Jeffrey, the death of every old paradigm, as we've seen the death of several at the moment now, uh, I think you'll agree, the death of each paradigm always results in a period of friction and, and kind of counter-alliance between groups that will lead to the seeding and the growth of a new paradigm. And I think what we're seeing now is that on multiple levels. So we've got like food and farming and ecology. We've got healthcare. We've also got the financial systems with the advents of uh, the counter-economy and cryptocurrencies. And then you've got also the rise of AI and a what they're saying AI is going to be able to do, which to me, Kurt's files, it just seems like a, a lunatic, psychotic. I'm sorry to anybody who, who's a fan of his and 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 Musk. I didn't even realise Musk was autistic till the other day. I'd never seen him speak, um, but he, I saw him on, a bit on Joe Rogan and I, oh Jesus, you know he's a smart chap. He's talking about rockets and stuff, and I was like, wow. What, what, I had to run a Tesla um, for the first time last week, and it, I mean, the amount of things that, that car can do is out of control. I mean, yeah. like it has a, a, a horn feature where, you, like, I guess there's a there's a law or regulation where you have to have like the horn sound for like a few seconds, right. but then after that, it's customizable. And wow. so it had everything from like the fart sound to like the cucaracha to like the sound of an ice cream truck. Wow. And I mean, obviously, Elon Musk is a child at heart and he likes, you know, because I mean, it's really funny to hear the horn honking and then all of a sudden it's like a really long, drawn out fart. <laughs> Fantastic. And it is, uh, it's just like, a, a, yeah, it's a, it's a boy's toy, isn't it? The Tesla car. Um, just yeah, and we also, um, my friend uh, parked his car in his driveway and we stood out on the road. And he pressed a little button with his app, and the car came to us and picked us up with no driver. And he also could press a button while while driving, and then and then the the car was driving itself. And it was really funny because you know we're all, we're so used to driving like this, yeah. and he was sitting there with his hands at his side as we were driving. And I was like, God, that's a whole weird thing that we're gonna have to all get used to because I'm sure that's the wave of the future. And um, well, it's pretty impressive. It's just you know. There's quite, quite uh, in a way, I feel like, is it necessary? <laughs> I think there is quite a brutal caveat to the whole Tesla car thing, um, which I kind of came across recently. And there's a fact, I think the, the obviously weather in Texas highlighted it, where they'd said that if you had a Tesla car in the cold snap in Texas, it would have cost you like $29,000 to charge it that week because of what happened to the energy prices. Um, and then what it seems to be... The, this kind of dirty caveat seems to be that, right, with the actual electricity that's generated to charge it, there may be more kind of counter pollution produced in the process of producing the electricity than there is in the whole the kind of pollution from a diesel or a petrol engine, and it, it could end up being counterproductive. So I don't know. If we can find clean, you know, as in Tesla, Tesla produced electricity, original Nikolai Tesla, then yeah, then, yeah. It, then it shouldn't be an issue. But as we see with the new Green Deal and everything, we're just going to be kind of split between uh, fossil fuels and solar power, wind power and stuff, and, and, and neither one offers a good enough solution. So I don't know. But uh, yeah, if we can get to tes Tesla, Tesla's uh, uh, form of producing electricity, yeah, then it'll be great. So, But they said that when he put that 1.5 bill into Bitcoin, he earned more in one month than he did in 14 years of selling uh, profit than he did in 14 years selling Tesla cars. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so I don't know, he might get bored. 
if it, if it, if he doesn't see uh, any kind of anything mirrored from like the power industry to help that go further, he, he might. I don't know. He might abandon it. In my in my opinion, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. I hope he doesn't. Well, and, and I mean, and you know, speaking of psychopaths, since that, since we're talking about that, um, you know, <laughs> with with the again with the, the quasi smart people that are you know that know everything that's going on in the world, you think to yourself, okay, well, you know, these people, the the, the these five or ten people that are the richest in the world could end all these problems that we have forever. Mm-hmm. You know, the food food uh, lack of food, um, homelessness. Um, they, they could probably cure many diseases that we, mm-hmm. you know, but instead they, their foundation gives a donation and it's like, so their ego is getting bigger yeah. and they act, they look like they're like these great humanitarians and they, they can completely afford to all pitch in together and just end these problems forever. Yeah. And, they, uh, they, I mean, it just, it, it just makes me think that these people are just psychopaths and anyone that, that likes them is just not <laughs> yeah they've kind of in my, in my eyes they've kind of made a venus flytrap of philanthropy you know they've kind of made it into that well oh yeah yeah we'll give you this donation and and then on the other side of that then i'm sure they might have a few expectations from those certain you know people and organizations in the years that follow so a lot of it seems to be for them to follow a, a, a guided agenda, should I say, <laughs> without you know, without wanting to sound at all conspiratorial, because I'm not. <laughs> but yeah, it could could well be. And you only have to look at what's going on in the farming community in India to see uh, at the moment, and that is very shocking. That you know, thousands of years of wealth of knowledge of farming traditions has been kind of. Uh, yeah, monetized and then uh, kind of sold back to those farmers as, as as being a good thing, and has put them in debt. That you know we've had lots of suicides from that and stuff, and it, and it just doesn't get in the news. And it's like, well, what on earth are you doing? These farmers were perfectly fine before you came along and started messing in in their farming. So it's the same with um, fracking. Oh, you know, the governments or whoever these agencies are that, you know, offer some farmer like, oh, if we can just drill on your land, we'll give you like an X amount of money. And then they, what they don't realize is that that amount of money is all they're going to get for the rest of their life because yeah. their land is now destroyed. Your land's destroyed, uh, you're poisoned, your groundwater's poisoned, your crops are going to die, you won't be able to even build there, you won't be able to do anything. Uh, and then you've got like the you know the, the press release saying like oh we created all these jobs for frack to frack and it's like yeah you're creating them now but then they're gonna they're gonna break up the land so those people will be out of work and then all the people yeah. that you, whose lives you're destroying are gonna be out of work and so you now instead of just being one set of lives that destroyed you're destroying two sets oh and whole communities uh, as well uh, yeah whole communities so yeah that's that's a bit of a downer isn't it man. Uh, <laughs> For those communities, despite the sunshine, it's pretty. It's pretty dark out there. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty dark out there. Right. Okay. So we said before that you'd give us a little excerpt from your new book, please, and maybe just dip into that. I would love to. Let me uh, let know? me find a little spot for you. Yeah. yeah, and then um, you give people a taste of your talents. And um, where can we find most of your books, anyway? Uh, they're all available on Amazon.com at the moment. Okay. Um, In Kindle formats as well. Uh, in digital formats as well. Okay. Uh huh. 
I'm done paper for those old-fashioned ones amongst us. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Both, so both, uh, both formats. Yeah. Um, and I believe uh, as well. Um, I know we discussed last time you, you'd written a book about a uh, pandemic. <laughs> so, so, well, yeah, literally. Yeah, that actually, <laughs> I, that one's sitting right here too. The the rise and fall of Utopia in oral history. Yeah, and uh, I would be happy to read you an excerpt of that as well, if you if you like. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Um, and how's that one been doing? Has that been uh, more successful? You know, my books. It's like funny. Like I have like a cult following. Like you know, people. When I, I mean, I pretty much just, I have like a full-time job, so um, mm. I don't really have time to do tons of promotion, and I like to yeah. try and have like a, somewhat of a social life, and I like to also try and create other stuff, mm. so um, my books don't do great because I'm not out there every day selling, but kind of my thought process is that, you know, just keep going, and eventually, you know, if yeah. someone, when someone connects to my work, they really like it, and I try and hook them up by having multiple products for them to enjoy and with you. So, um, Good stuff. Uh, and hopefully we're not going to have to wait till after you're dead to enjoy your success. <laughs> like most artists. So, I'm just trying to find a, a spot that like doesn't, because I mean that, that as we go on in the, in the book, there's, um, there's so many uh, things that you may not know. You know what I mean? There's like, like characters and oh, backstories yeah. that you may not know, so I'm trying to find okay. a spot that's not... Um... Oh, give us a beginning if you want. The beginning's uh, probably not a bad place. I'll leave it up to you. As well, um, have you got any more in the pipeline? Is there anything else that you're working on at the moment, just in case you, you, know, you have some of your... This is something that, so I'm admitting it for the first time, I guess, on uh, in a public forum, but I find right, right now that I'm in a creative lull, and mm -hmm. I think it's because I'm happier than I've been in a long time. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if that's the case, well, then that'll be the last book, because I would rather be happy than... Oh, yeah, than be happy. Yeah, no, so, I understand um, that perfectly. But I, yeah. I, do, I do have an idea for something else, and I, and I also have another book that's unreleased, so worst case... I have another book that'll come out next year. Mm -hmm. um, this one is coming out, I, I, I say imminently. Um, I had some stickers made and I like to put them up all over the city. So mm -hmm. um, as my extra side of promotion, because at the end of the day, when I walk by these different streets and street lamps and things yeah. like that, um, I enjoy when I see the stickers up. So yeah, sure. they're like little inside jokes to myself <laughs> if the rest <laughs> of the world doesn't care. So... Um, yeah, well, you, you're yeah. planting subliminal uh, messages there for people to, uh, you know, and it, it'll stick in there and someone will see it and then they'll say, ah, I remember that. Uh, that's quite so, good. So, yeah, idea. let's just start at the beginning because I don't Go for it. So, I'm sitting comfortably. Company, uh, I'll just read you, the, I'll read you the preface, which mm -hmm. is just a little note from the author, which would be me. Okay. Uh, this book was completed in early 2020, days before the global the government announced that COVID-19 was a global pandemic. As you read this work, please remember the good old days where the only thing we had to worry about was working for complete motherfucking assholes. Enjoy. <laughs> oh, yeah, excellent. Chapter one. <laughs> Des Wolf stopped trusting adults the day he found out Santa Claus is not real. He experienced a series of similar traumatic events upon the discovery that the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy also did not exist. 
He finally recovered in the first grade when he met his classmate Parson Richards. It was a rare case of best friends at first sight. As the world tried to ruin their dreams, Parson was always good for a quick-witted joke that would make Des briefly restore his faith in humanity. In return, Des was a great sounding board for when Parson needed someone to talk to about his crazy parents. When they got suspended for exposing their asses at the school talent show in the sixth grade, Parson consoled Des by coming up with a line that sent Des into an endless fits of laughter. They wanted an assembly, they got an assembly. <laughs> Two asses, four cheeks, in fact. They didn't know at the time that it was the beginning of a creative partnership that would last for the rest of their lives. To say the pair was inseparable was an understatement. Wherever Des went, Parson followed and vice versa. Throughout the years, they were each other's confidants, bodyguards, and best friends. What they were not, however, was lovers. The thought hadn't even occurred to them as they reached high school and discovered the female anatomy. When they were asked why they weren't banging every hot chick that attended Nelson High, their standard answer was that they were too busy making plans for the future, so there was no time for girls. After recreational marijuana use became legal in their state, Parson and Dez put up fake posters all over the city, advertising a service that matched up pot enthusiasts. The campaign was called, Why Can't We Be Friends? <laughs> I made myself laugh, <laughs> which is sad. Even though it was meant to be a joke, the fake posters were their first taste of viral success. The story made the news, and to this day, no one knows who came up with the idea. It was no secret that Parsons' family was not crazy about Dez, but they tolerated him because he made their son so happy. Parsons' family was a soap opera. They were rich, so they could afford to avoid some of the growing pains that commoners had to deal with. Whenever there was a problem, they just threw money at it, and usually it went away. When Parson Richards was young, his parents left him alone with babysitters as they gallivanted in the jungles of South America taking ayahuasca and jetted off to Amsterdam to eat space cakes. They had money, but they were selectively poor when it came to buying nice things for Parson. And if his folks weren't traveling, they participated in, in moments of extremely brief sobriety. Quaaludes for Richard, Dick Richards, and Chardonnay and pills for Barbara, a.k.a. Babs Richards. If Parson wanted something from his family, he could always resort to threatening them to blackmail them, and then he'd get his way. Dick and Babs ran in some powerful circles, and they would not be too popular if everyone knew about their extracurricular activities. When the threats came out, the family purse suddenly opened up. Dick and Babs were from wealthy families, and they were both so irresponsible, it was as if they came from new money. Whether it was collecting valuable art, but putrid... Whether it was collecting valuable but putrid-looking art, looking like a circus freak in public, whilst wearing couture, the Richards family wanted it all. Dick was charming, and he was famous for his winks and his infectious laugh. Babs loved the drama. Her favorite activity was getting in arguments with Dick, so their makeup sex would be off the charts. When Parson was in elementary and when uh, when Parson was in elementary school, his biggest fear had been realized. He was about to have a brother. As soon as Ian Richards was born, Parson was practically invisible to his parents. The combination of stress and drugs that Babs and Dick were taking resulted in his parents having some epic fights. Often, Parson was caught in the middle of it. It was a nightmare, but he knew that once he was old enough to go to college, he would move away and he'd be free of their terror forever. Dez's parents, on the other hand, lived a far simpler life. Although his folks were wage slaves, they enjoyed a nice middle-class life. Their house was modest, but they were able to take vacations every, every couple years. More importantly, they were able to provide Dez with the love and support that he craved. It wasn't perfect, but Dez's father, Randall Wolf, was able to provide for his children. 
Becky Wolf was a stay-at-home mom, and she was the rock of the family, always championing love and respect, even when things seemed bad. Up to that point, one of the most important events in young Dez and Parsons' high school experience was the senior prom. It just didn't occur to them to take girls, since they were only attending to have a good time with classmates, and they were not trying to get into someone else's pants. Rumors of their homosexuality spread like wildfire, and the pair spent most of the semester denying the allegations. One of the better pieces of gossip that was relayed back to Parson and Dez was that they would probably start their own company one day and take over the world. If the truth was told, Dez was secretly having feelings for the same sex, but certainly not for Parson. Parson, on the other hand, was straight as an arrow. They were just bros, as far as Parson was concerned. Babs protested to Parson that Dez was trying to turn their son gay. Parson always retorted, He likes to suck down drinks like they're going out of style. Maybe he likes to suck down something else. <laughs> what difference does it make? It doesn't affect your life at all, so why don't you mind your own business? And I don't think he's gay. We never even talk about that kind of stuff. Our friendship is not about that. Perhaps it was growing up from a different generation that Babs equated being gay with having a terrible future. No matter how far the equality movement had come, in a lot of circles, gays were still treated like second-class citizens, and Babs would not settle for anything less than first-class. In her warped sense of seeing things, if his future was in jeopardy, that meant the horrific reality that she might have to take care of Parson someday. There was no way Babs was going to let that happen. The inseparable pair of young men faced their biggest challenge once it was time to go off to college. Parson had been accepted to the Ivy League Yale, while Dez had to settle for a much less glamorous community college. After seeing each other almost every day for the greater part of their lives, they decided they would, they would continue to keep in touch and hopefully hang out with each other during the holidays. College was not working out so well for Dez. He was in desperate need of a sidekick, and every time he told one of his off-color jokes, he... Sorry, I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to end. I have, like, five more pages. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, every time he told one of his off-color jokes, it fell flat. Across the country, Parson was feeling the same pain in his neck of the woods. He was super popular with the ladies, but he w what he really wanted was the camaraderie of Dez. They both looked forward to the holiday re season for their reunion. Keep the night of the 24th open for me, Dez told Parson. Why? Parson said, asked inquisitively. I got invited to a party, and we're going. What kind of party? I don't know too much, except it's invite only. I was told that it gets crazy, and to keep an open mind. Sure. What should I wear? The instructions say, wear something uncomplicated. It was clear that neither Dez or Parson knew what an invite-only party was, but they were about to learn firsthand that these nights were filled with debauchery. The event had only one rule. Anything goes. The guest list remained hidden, and the only information the attendees received was an address and a time to show up. Des and Parson decided to pregame since it was the first time the two of them were le of legal age to drink alcohol together. Parson grilled Des for more information about the party they were going to, and Des just told him that tonight's theme was to expect the unexpected. They were quite inebriated when they showed up at the local penthouse, or at the, at the penthouse of the local Hilton. Upon entering the suite, they were both taken aback when a naked lady approached them and asked them to sign a non-disclosure agreement before requesting they check their clothing. Des and Parson, although buzzed, were a little apprehensive. As they scanned the darkened room, they saw that everyone around them was naked, so they reluctantly got undressed and handed their clothes over. What kind of sick party is this, Parson asked. If you feel uncomfortable, we can go. Well, since we're already here and we checked our clothes, we might as well stay for a while and see what this is all about. Seconds later, an attractive woman offered Parson a drink, and he gave Des a wink and disappeared. Des was just about to panic when a guy took him to the vacant, the vacant corner of the suite and handed him a tab of ecstasy. Despite being brave enough to attend such a party, Des was st still a virgin and extremely green when it came to taking drugs. 
Anything goes, the handsome man said to Dez as he put the pill in his mouth. They made a toast and swallowed the pill. On the other side of the room, Parson's hands were moving up and down his newfound girlfriend's body. Dez should have been focusing on the present moment. Instead, he was searching the darkened room for his friend. As soon as Parson spotted Dez, he made his way across the party. The ecstasy was kicking in and suddenly Dez felt really good. Dez made a beeline to Parson, who looked to be seconds away from intercourse with his new gal pal. As Dez looked around the room, it seemed that nothing was off limits, and this invite-only party had quickly turned into a swinging sex event. As this strange girl was giving Parson head in the corner of the room, Dez thought it might not be the best time to have this conversation. <laughs> the ecstasy was flowing through his blood and left him with no choice, and he dropped to his knees and also started giving Parson head. Parson seemed to have no problem with the female pleasuring him, but once Dez joined in, he recoiled. What the fuck are you doing, Dez? Parson asked incredulously. Anything goes, Parson, an extremely intoxicated Dez replied. Dude, get off me. I'm not gay. Maybe it's the drugs talking, but I think I'm in love with you, Parson, Dez sung. Please get off me, Parson repeated. Dez felt extremely embarrassed, and he got up and went over to the clothes check, retrieved his outfit, and went running out into the night. The next day, when he sobered up, Dez called Parson to set things right, but Parson did not want to discuss it. He waited all day, but the phone never rang. A day turned into a week, and there was still no call. Utterly depressed, Dez came to the realization that he had lost his best friend because of a stupid mistake he'd made under the influence of drugs and alcohol. The passing days became weeks, months turned to years, and suddenly there was no reconciliation and there was no reconciliation. Several years later, Dez was in a relationship and had a job, but he and he'd all but stopped thinking of how much he missed Parson Richards in his life. Parson too had moved on, but not necessarily in the right direction. After college, he wanted to find himself, so he borrowed a lot of money from his parents and tried to become a famous Europe and artist. Uh, tried to become a famous artist in Europe, mm. and he lived next to Dave Bottomley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not in Europe anymore. Parson had not been, been successful in this venture. It, it was creative, but he, it lacked his sense of humor. He was thinking of returning to the USA to grow up and get a job, where he could some where he could express himself in words, not paintings. Sometimes you have to go halfway across the world to realize you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the cunt out of the boy, Parson thought. What started off as an innocent cup of coffee at the Café de Fleuret on Boulevard Saint-Germain in Paris turned into a, a moment Parson Richards could not have imagined in a million years, an impromptu face-to-face -face reunion with his former bestie, Des Wolf. Pretending they didn't see each other was not possible, as they locked eyes at the same time. There was no sense in resting, so Des walked right up to Parson's table. Hey, buddy, long time no see. What are you doing here? Des asked. Trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up, Parson said. No, seriously. You're the most put, you're one of the most put-together people I've ever met. Yeah, well, after college, I was a bit lost, and I've been bumming around Europe trying to find myself. It's cheaper than therapy. How's that working out for you? Eh. I've been having a good time socially, but there's not a big market for childlike paintings selling for adult prices. I can't live off my mom and dad for the rest of my life. I need to find a way to pay them back for everything I've already spent. What about you? Things are good with me. I've got an okay job, and I met this really cool guy. That's great, Des. I'm really happy for you. Parson, I'm sorry about that night. Can you ever forgive me? I was really fucked up, and I wasn't able to handle the drugs. Of course. What happened in the past is the past. We're adults now. Let's move on, okay? Okay, Parson. That makes me happy you said that. We stopped, When we stopped talking, I was really messed up over it. Me too, Des. You know, I've never stopped thinking about those rumors everyone used to tell us in high school. That we were lovers? No, that we'd start our own company and someday take over the world. I've got nothing going on. What do you suggest? We should start our own public relations firm. And before you say no, please hear me out. All right, you've got 10 seconds. 
well, I've been working at a firm, so I have an idea of how the business operates. When you and I collaborate on, de- on ideas, we know how to make everyone fall in love with us. I'm sure we've still got the magic. I don't have any attachment to my job, and, and you need to find work. I think we can create something really special. What do you say? Parson thought about it and responded, that was 18 seconds. I'm going back home in a few weeks. Why don't we sit down and figure out a real strategy? That sounds great. I've thought about this often over the years. It'll be the best public relations firm in the universe. What will we call it? DPPR, of course. Double Penetration Public Relations? No, silly. Des Parson Public Relations. Get it? I like the sound of that. Make me one promise. What's that? No matter what happens, you and I will always be friends. What could possibly break us apart? Parson asked. In bad company. Coming soon. Fantastic. Thank you very much. So there you that go. That's not the funniest chapter, but I promise you it gets funnier and crazier and more fucked up as it goes along. No, but you, you, you can tell a book by the way it starts. And that, that is, that is quite, quite a punch in the, in the, in the groin. <laughs> so, in, yes, a, in a good way. Department is named Chip Cantwell. The head of their uh, finance department is named Lori Savings, and the head of their <laughs> HR department is Abby Roach. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, thank you. That's forgiving. Is that that's an exclusive uh, look into sc- exclusive preview? Put my teeth back in for, from Jeffrey. That's that's fantastic. So yeah, um, I'm lo- looking forward to reading that. I need, I need to catch up on reading as well. <laughs> and um, yeah, thank you for. For giving us that uh, little little, uh, little glimpse <laughs> into into it was quite a long glimpse actually, man. It was like fifteen pages. I was like, no. seemed, it seemed shorter when I was writing it. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's 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 a good taster for people, so they can you know it's you don't write like anybody else that I know. You know, you've got your own style, and you know, in years to come, we'll be looking back and and looking back at what you've written, and you know, there'll be comparisons drawn to to other great writers as well. I'm sure. So thank you again. Um, yeah, my, my style for those who didn't that, that are just tuning in, you know, is um, I like to get to the point. Yeah. Um, I don't give you a lot of description. I like I like the reader to sort of envision what the character looks like in their head. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, I like to try and keep it funny. Sometimes my characters are despicable, but <laughs> what they what they say and do makes up for their despicableness. Um, well, I had a discussion with a friend the other day. We were talking about despicable characters. And I mean, mm. when you take a show like Breaking Bad, pretty much every character is despicable, yeah. yet it's one of the greatest shows that ever, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, the... the um, yeah. And, and it's, it's, though they don't have redeeming qualities, I mean, and some of them were good at one point and they turned bad. You, you know, one of the worst characters on that show, I mean, I, I couldn't wait for his next scene because it was like, what evil thing is he going to do now? You know, so... Um, I do kind of keep that thought process in mind when I write, and um, so a lot of these characters are fucking terrible people, but (laughs) the things they say and do makes a reader kind Mm -hmm. of go, oh man, what's going to happen next? I mean, you know, we've got, you know, before the end of this book, we'll have, um, you know, a major character dying of a drug overdose in a hotel room with a prostitute. We'll have... um, Lots of backstabbing. We'll have somebody uh, dying in an office fire. (laughs) We'll have um, uh, someone trying to poison a coworker to have them lose their baby so that they don't have to pay child support. Um, Yeah, so if you're not not hooked in by all things that are true. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, if you're not hooked in by now, folks, then you need to get you get a copy of this when it's out and, and uh, yeah, get for, deeper into this. Um, yeah, and, and that style of writing is, is yeah, it's great when you can, you know, use your own perception, imagination as well. But yeah, like you get to the point. Ah, uh, yeah, different styles, you know. Uh, but yeah, that, that's um, I'd say that that's authentically your way of writing. <laughs> always has been, always will be. Yeah. yeah, and I, I mean, I enjoy that. I mean, I, I definitely, you know, some of my friends and 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 fans have said to me, you know, I don't, I don't like it. It's just too much. It's too blunt. And I'm like, I hope you realize that's a style. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like they feel like, you know, I, I wrote another book a long time ago called Journal of Grievances that was mm-hmm. um, the story, like it was a, a story told in a journal format, and so it was this guy, and it was his journal from January first to December thirty first, and you know. It it doesn't go into detail about what each person looked like, and it doesn't go into detail about a lot of these things. And people said, "Oh, I would really like to know more about these things." And I'm like, "The book would be, would go from 200 pages to 5,000 pages if I was describing that." <laughs> but yeah. you know, when you talk to a friend, and like any scenario, you know, oh, I went to the the park and I ran into this guy, and you know, this is the the drama that happened. It's not irrelevant what he was wearing. I mean, maybe it is. If if it is, then tell me. But you know, mm-hmm. if if the story revolves around like, oh, I dropped my cup of coffee in the park. You know, do I need to know the, what the girl in the on the swings was wearing? No. You could say a girl on the swings witnessed it and started laughing. That's that's what we'll get out of the story. You know, yeah, so I kind of just, you know just to get to the meat. Yeah, just to get the of it. Yeah, you can. Yeah, in, in some books, in some situations, the author's that it does work that their whole uh, perception of what they were writing, which is spun around the, the finer detail and so on as well. But yeah, it's, it's good sometimes just to get straight to the point, like you say, and get to that. And then you can you can build the rest in your imagination as you're reading it. So, yeah, fantastic. Um, I'm a huge Stephen King fan, and, I, you know, he used to, uh, oh, he still does. I mean, brilliant one of the best writers yeah. of all time. I mean, so grateful that he inspired me, but um, he will spend five pages describing someone's dress. Mm-hmm. And then in the plot at the end, it's like, and then they killed the bad guy at the end. And you're like, yeah. okay, I didn't need to read five pages about that person's dress. When you, the, the part that I really needed to know about was what happens to the, yeah, you don't want to yeah. get into kind of lit- literal navel gazing over some details, do you? Uh, you know, it's the same when we do like um, we do like mediumship and you know, kind of spirit talk and that. And some mediums just go on and on with detail after detail after detail describing about blah blah blah, and they never seem to get to the bloody message. <laughs> well, it doesn't just go straight in with a message like like your writing style, and then you know the person's got the message, and then it's like, oh yeah, and you get to the point. So yeah, no, I, I kind of appreciate that way of writing. I can see, I can appreciate both, but yeah, it's good when you get to the meat. <laughs> you get well, and I realize that also, you know, people in this in this generation are you know have short attention spans and kind of want to just get to the meat. Yeah. And so I'm happy to provide that. And I mean, um, I had a person read this book the other day because I, uh, you know, like to like to get some early opinions, and and mm. he read it in two sittings. You know, it's mm, um, okay. it's two hundred yeah. and. 10 pages and you know mm-hmm. it, you know the the font is fairly you know big mm-hmm. um and there's a lot of dialogues so, i mean but it's you know by the you'll definitely go on a journey yeah <laughs> by the time this, by the time that this you get to the end you know this the story mm-hmm. start off with these two friends and they're you know a, a thing has already happened to them you know where they had this 
kind of affair, not not an aborted affair, I should say. But you know, by the end of this book, so many more things happen to them that that it'll definitely test their friendship. Oh, Let's yeah, just say fantastic. that. Yeah. No, a friend, a friend of mine asked um, uh, me before. I told him I was doing, recording a podcast with you, and I'll give him a shout out. It's uh, Wayne. He's in Swansea. Uh, he's got a little baby boy, uh, and his, his partner M's uh, little baby boy Elijah. So hello to them. Uh, he was asking me, "Oh, what, what does he write about?" And I was like, "Here you go." <laughs> and he's like, and then his interest picked up. He was like, "Oh, I, I might be watching your podcast." then. so yeah, um, if he's listening, hello. Um, so yeah, you've 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 kind of covered. And I know in your um, autograph hunting uh, days, which possibly a bit limited now you you've uh, you've met quite a few authors as well is the one that you ever you kind of thought well you were you were almost too nervous to talk to him because you know it was like a, a hero or somebody that was yeah i mean so that you know the one that got away was david bowie um and i had so many near misses with him yeah um in when i lived in new york i did not realize the day he died they put they published his address and when I learned that he was off a subway stop where almost every concert venue I went to was located and I walked by his house, he lived, he lived like right off a subway stop. Like, I mean, in the most, it was like hiding in plain sight. I mean, yeah. he lived in such an, and in, in effect, um, his wife, Iman still lives there. Um, and it's kind of weird that they posted their address, but mm. whatever. Um, I walked by that house so many times and I mean the funny thing is is not no you know I was saying earlier that I put stickers up around the city uh -huh. when um, and unknowingly I and it was the, it was this book um on the internet shout out to Troy Gua who did the cover art yeah. um, I had stickers of this book and I mean uh -huh. that this book is is like how to win the internet it's a bunch of uh quick wit and, and things like that and so obviously the cover is a meme to end with a cat <laughs> to sort of uh make fun of the internet meme sensation but i put up stickers like all down his block not knowing that he lived there and i in my fantasy world i'm like maybe just maybe when david boy was out and about <laughs> he said to himself I wonder what that is. And I looked it up and thought, oh, that looks stupid. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not sure. No, do you? So that's my, that's my, uh, the one that got away story. And then my, my, um, kind of freaking out. I, I don't, I don't get nervous around celebrities and famous people because no. they breathe the same air as you and they, you know, mm -hmm. um, you got uh, probably think I, so I, I love the singer George Michael <laughs> yeah. and, um, I, I bought tickets to see him in concert and yeah. with a friend and then a different friend of mine, the day of the show was like, Oh, yeah. you know, I happen to know his drummer and his drummer came through and got me really good seats and backstage passes. Mm. And so I was like, Oh my God, I have to kind of ditch my friend that I'm with because I only have room. There's a, she's only got a plus one and I need to meet George Michael. <laughs> <laughs> so as luck would totally have it, I mean, I wasn't able to get my friend backstage, unfortunately, but as luck would have it, when I broke the news to him right before the show that, like, sorry, I'm going to sit in a better seat, and I'll just pay for your ticket, and I'm really sorry, but yeah. I have got to sit uh -huh. in a better seat for George Michael because this is, like, such a big thing to me. So, um, as luck would have it, the person sitting next to us 
was not going to show up. And we, cause the, the person on the other side of him was like, Oh, I have this extra seat. Yeah. And so I called my friend and I was like, okay, meet me in this little section. I got my other friend's tickets. We'll sneak oh, you down. Fantastic. And then we've got you the good seat. So oh, he was able to sit with us for the entire show and it was amazing. Wow. And we were very close. Um, so anyway, so knowing that I'm going to probably be meeting George Michael at the end of the show, I have a little bag with every CD that he's ever done. Cause I have like, you know, when I, I'm sick in the head when it comes to collecting and I have like yeah. every fucking thing they ever make. <laughs> and so, um, so I have it all with me so that when I you know meet him, I can have him try and sign all my stuff, which the reality of it is they'll probably sign like two or three things and then get sick of it. Cause they're like, dude, you're like obsessed. Yeah, get the fuck away from me. <laughs> well, anyway, so the show comes and goes. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. I have the best time of my life, you know? And, um, I say goodbye to my other friend and then the friend that has the backstage passes and I, we go backstage and we're George Michael has just come off stage and we're trying to figure out how to get back to where we need to go. And we run right into George Michael (laughs) (laughs) and I don't know what the deal was, but I like completely started freaking out and it was like, I love you and I love this one song and this has made my life. and And I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. So anyway, so I, you know, my, of course the first question I want to ask any rock star that I love is like, how much unreleased music do you have? And when will we get to hear it? Mm. So I was asking George Michael about that. And he was telling, he, he decided to focus on telling me about the fact that he was going to make a live DVD of the, of this tour. Ooh. And Ooh. he was going to have a special feature where it had, he, at some cities he played different songs mm-hmm. that he only played like one time kind of thing. And the DVD was going to have like all the different songs so that a fan would have every different live version that he played of that song, which first of all, the DVD came out like four years after he told me that it was coming out. <laughs> he told me it was coming out at Christmas time. This was maybe in August. Mm. And he said it was coming out like in a few months, which it did not. No. It came out like three or four years later. Mm. And, um, it didn't have all those different songs. It had a couple okay. <laughs> of the different oh. ones as, a, as special features. But, um, yeah. So anyway, so I'd asked him to take a photo and he was like, I really don't want to because you know, everyone's going to see, and then everyone's going to want to take photos with me. And I really don't want to do that. And so I respected his wishes, even though I was very fucking bummed. Um, <laughs> and so when it came, when it came to getting his autograph, I had my big stack of things. And because I was so nervous, I pulled out one thing. <laughs> only and my friend who sat there and didn't have anything to get signed i didn't give her anything to be like get this signed for me yeah, and i'm like yeah, yeah. it's one of those things like after the fact i'm like mm-hmm. what was i thinking <laughs> <You're too starstruck>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was uh it was amazing experience and i mean it was like one of the like my friend says that you know she's like i love the concert it was one of the best concerts i ever went to but mm-hmm. watching you completely become a little teenage girl was my favorite thing ever um good to jelly and, uh, and then in fact when uh, was when i got his autograph neil patrick harris was backstage and oh. he saw me getting his autograph and he comes up to me after that and he's like he's like hi there i'm neil and i'm like yeah i know who you are like you're a fucking like worldwide superstar um he's like would it be possible for me to use your your pen like it was just so funny because like I guess he's not used to asking for autographs and things like that. So he's like, um, "If you want, I'll take a picture with you." And I was like, "Sure." So I traded a photo with Neil Patrick Harris for his usage of my pen to get George Michael's autograph. That's a fair, but <laughs> I think so. Good. 
Oh, dear me. So, and, then, and, then, and then the, like, kind of a stupid moment. I mean, I, I just had so many little fuck-up moments in that in that backstage little situation that I was in. Mm. My friend, we, so we hung out for, like, an hour, and the party was continuing to go on. Right. And I should have just soaked up every minute of seeing George Michael in my face that I could. Yeah. But instead, my friend said, oh, I, I, I think I'm going to go. And I was like, well, I'll go with you. Oh. <laughs> uh, who does that? <laughs> well, it's, it's well, probably too much a sensory overload just for one evening. It's like bang. I know, but still, it, it was so. just like that was really. Yeah, Some, sometimes I, you, I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> oh, but sometimes oh. you have to preserve a, a special moment like that, and it can only happen uniquely, spontaneously. Otherwise, if you did try to push it, maybe something would have occurred to you know, kind of. Not spoil it, but to it, kind of denigrate. No, it's, it's true. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's fine. Yeah, no, but it's true. funny because um, before George Michael tickets had gone on sale, mm. I actually had had a ticket for the the, the following night for um, Jarvis Cocker. Oh, was, that was the first time I'd ever seen him, and I was Jarvis. like so excited. And mm. and then George Michael announced two shows, but I was like. I really want to see Jarvis Cochran. I went to see George Michael last night, so I only went the one night. Yeah. But then after having that amazing experience, I was sitting in the front row for Jarvis Cocker with my arms folded, just being like, this should be George Michael. This should be George Michael. Rocky, <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, you know, you live and learn, don't you? Oh, but no, it's a fantastic oh, yeah, but story. It was, I mean, it was a great, uh, it was a great, great show. Anecdote, and, yeah. I love Jarvis Cocker, so I'm oh, definitely yeah. glad I got to see him uh, yeah, yeah. Sure. Although I did see it years later, I helped reunited for like one tour, and I got to see them. So oh, that was pretty wow. awesome. Yeah, no, this that must have been great. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I kind of have to think and wonder, looking and you know, kind of what some of these musicians and stars are doing to trying to survive. And I know there's this kind of culture emerging now of where you can kind of like pay X amount of thousand dollars or pounds to have this this star ring you and say hello and whatnot and. And it, it's getting a, that's getting a little bit, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. If you could say like, I think it'd be a little bit cheesy because it's yeah. not, you know, I mean, all it's, of these encounters that I had. I hate to say whoring, but. <laughs> I mean, everyone's got to make a penny. So I mean, that part I kind of respect, but it's sort of like, I mean, in my, in my view, from having all these in-person experiences that were free but also you know sort of luck of the draw yeah, you know yeah. it, they were all real because mm. i got to I, I i didn't tell people that oh i write a blog and i'm gonna write about you and this and that it was just like let's just see if this person's nice just because they're nice yeah you know, yeah they don't know me from a, anyone and you know i'll just chat with them and you know i always ended it with a foot like asking them to take a photo and things like that like like people do and um you know, I, my success rate was probably like over 95%. Mm. And um, some people were just jerks. And, um, you know, and, and, I, and I only, it, it was, it was kind of interesting to me that I, I went after people that I liked. I didn't, I didn't go after, you know, to try and get into a party where it was somebody, a bunch of people I didn't like. But if someone I didn't care about was there, I felt like, why waste the opportunity? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, never, never let it go past. I, mean, I think you're pretty good at that, usually. <laughs> um, yeah, right. So, um, going back to your book for a second now, and from the, the opening chapter that you read us, uh, you mentioned a few things there which made my kind of big ears prick up, and I was like, yeah. Have you any experiences yourself? Because the last podcast I did was with, with Jess Peary. It was all about healing with plant spirits and ayahuasca particularly because he's, he's a, a shaman. 
So is there, are there any experiences in particular, Jeffrey, where you've, you've been able to harness those types of substances for personal healing or, uh, and the, that you're willing to share with us? Or... Um, I, I've, I've tried the drug DMT, which is mm. a like the drug version of ayahuasca. Yeah. Um, ayahuasca is something that's kind of never come up in my life. Okay. Um, mm. I've been looking to do it. I'm certainly open to it, but... Mm. Um, I don't really want to do it in a city. I'd rather do it like in a, in a spiritual place. I know that yeah. it, it, the experience will be better. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a fairly regular pot smoker. Um, mm. and I, you know, I, I meditate from time to time. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and in fact, yeah. shameless plug for your meditations. They're fucking amazing. Oh, you listen to um, <laughs> episodes one to six people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, I, uh, yeah, I've never, I've never done ayahuasca. I, I, I'm totally open to it and would love to one day, um, mm. you know, sort of in, in the absence of meditation, sometimes I just like to, well, I listen to music a lot and I, in mm. my, my brain, I just tell myself when music's on, you don't have any other thoughts. You focus on the music, yeah, you know, right, and yeah. it, it actually does help quiet my mind. Mm-hmm. So while it's not proper meditation per se, it is, um, it does help me keep my mind quiet and not start worrying about like, what am I going to eat for dinner? And what's, what do I have to do next Tuesday? And things like that. And, you know, in meditations, they always say like, bring your mind, if your mind starts to wander, bring it back to breathing in and breathe, you know, focusing on breathing, you know, focusing on your breath. And so mm. in a sense, when I listen to music, I sort of, it's, it's, it's a meditation for me to just only focus on that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a good point yeah I mean the, thing, I, the way I explain it to people is that uh, imagine that if, if, you, if you're going to sit and meditate it's not just about fo- the focus on to stop your mind because your mind's kind of like a naughty little dog say if you, you, you're stuck in a room and there's just a chair in the middle and you've got this little dog that's yapping and running around that's your mind it's constantly going to be like shitting everywhere pissing everywhere yapping barking biting scratching you know making a general fuss and we don't realize that until we sit to try and meditate when you do it's like sitting down on the chair and then the longer you sit uh you, the little dog's still going to run around and make a load of noise and fuss and piss everywhere again but it's just about getting to the point where you get so calm that the dog eventually starts to calm down and then eventually if you if you meditate long enough and you practice long enough the dog will kind of sit at your feet and then the next thing you know it'll take a little nap and it'll be quiet so that's kind of like that's how I explain the you know the point of meditation is to then and then go in inwards so but until you allow that dog to kind of expend all its energy or you allow your mind to expend all that that stuff that's going around that you you, it puts on you all the time uh, until you allow it to do that you're not going to get anywhere so if you're trying to stop it or if you're constantly shouting at the dog you know be quiet shut up you know stop running it's going to get worse Absolutely. And I, and I believe in, you know, mind over matter so many times, um, you know, take any bad situation and just try and breathe and think about it calmly and rationally. It's it's harder sometimes than others, obviously, Mm -hmm. but you know, if you can try and get to that point, you know, your life won't be so hard in a, in a way, you know, and I mean, I, I, a lot of times too, um, one of the first things I do, um, or when I, one of the first things I did when I moved back to Los Angeles is, um, I visited Marilyn Monroe's grave. Mm. It's, um, it's located 
it's in this really weird cemetery that's located behind the movie theater in a, oh, in a part of town called Westwood. Yeah. And um, what it's a, it's a spiritual situation for me. I know it's kind of weird, but mm-hmm. you've got arguably one of the most famous women in the world of all time. Mm-hmm. And you see her, her little plaque and her, her entire riches and yeah. fame and notoriety is reduced to this little plaque. Mm-hmm. And it just... It really brings me back down to earth. Yeah, I see what and you mean. So I like, to, I like to, to kind of make my little spiritual pilgrimage there just to sort of remind myself that, like, yeah. you know, first of all, none of this matters, you know. And, that, mm-hmm. and that's something that I th- we really feel we should focus on with the virus and all, all that is none of this matters, you know. Yeah. We're acting like no, yeah, yeah. all this stuff is we have to do something and, you know, whatever. It's just... Of course, well, we're yeah. ourselves too seriously. Yeah, we're, I mean, in, in, the, in the grand scheme of the universe, we're this little blip. Mm-hmm. You know, the Earth is a little blip, and then us individually is like a micro, micro, micro blip. And it's like, and people are acting like, oh my God, my problems are huge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a perfect example, you know, I'm looking at you right now, and you, you're, you're, you look fine. Um, you know, and but I, I don't know what's going on inside of your brain. You could be, know. you know, major trauma. But what I'm saying you is, is that, but what I'm saying is that, like, you know, no one else knows. Only you know. So Absolutely. rather than be negative or miserable, why don't you be happy? Not you, but I'm just, you know, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. No, well, this is it. I mean, you know, it, it depends on the individual as well, and then your, your makeup. In in astrology, we look at this really carefully at how per, persons. Uh, uh, houses are set out uh, as opposed to not just where the planets are set, um, the, which signs are in which planets. Um, so, for instance, I have I have a um, I think that's like Sun and two of the planets in Cancer, but on the other side of that, I have three in Sagittarius. So it's like fire versus water. So I'm not typically a, a, a mushy type of person like a lot of Cancerian men are. I've got that kind of fire on the other side to turn it all into steam, <laughs> which can then kind of move off somewhere else. But, and cooks rice. <laughs> yeah, but there are times when, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I, I can, you know, like if, say if I'm, I'm writing my own poetry, I'm doing a speaking thing for poetry or whatever, or if I'm working with healing, or if I'm meditating as well, where I, I, I can, can latch into that energy and kind of ride, ride the wave of it. And I started meditating when I was eight years old, so that's well, too many years ago, and I'm nearly 47 now. So it was like I, I start, started then early, and now, how did you even get the wherewithal to know about it? I mean, I parents, I, parents took us. Um, to, it was a TM transcendental meditation, and, and wow. eight, eight years old, I had a mantra and, and was doing that. So, and then my brothers didn't. My older brothers didn't really take it on board much, and they didn't kind of pursue it. I don't think much. One of them might meditate occasionally, but with me, then when I got into my teens, and I realised already, had realised what a fucking shit show the world could be. I was then in my teens and late teens. I was I was back on it, meditating, and that led me to a place of self discovery, and to become because I'd never been academic. Left school at fifteen. It led me to become an autodidact. So I knew that I'd never fit into the world of academia and be of that mindset, but I could still try to you know make my own way through the world, and that's the same today. You know, I, you know when I sit and talk to people who are academic and have had a really good education. It's almost like we're speaking different languages, but in a good way, we can still understand each other. So, yeah, meditation for me has saved my life many times. 
and um, yeah, and what what you were saying as well makes a lot of sense. And uh, I think that if, if you mind over matter, and then with meditation, it's called almost like your soul or your spirit over mind and matter. And if if you can get to that state where you you you're used to meditating, then your your mind will shut up anyway, and, and it will you'll you'll find like you, you'll feel your higher self just coming in to take charge, and then you start doing stuff effortlessly. Absolutely. A friend of mine yesterday was really funny. Um, Beautiful. We we hadn't seen each other in quite a while, and so mm. I was kind of filling her in on what's been going on in my life. And you know, yeah. when she knew me 15 years ago when I lived in the, in Los Angeles, you know, I was right. and towards the end of my Los Angeles years. I was going through a breakup, and I had lost my job, and it was mm. like I was going through kind of a lot of shit. And um, and funnily enough, at that time, writing kind of opened back up in my life. I had done it when mm. I was a child, and then mm-hmm. I just kind of put it to the side and just started living my life and it started coming back and mm, and okay. um she said oh you know was it it, it must have just been so cathartic for you to write when you were going through all that shit and i said actually mm. i started quieting my mind and it wasn't cathartic at all it was as if a voice possessed me to to write yeah. <laughs> so it was like it wasn't even a catharsis it was just more of like it, if somebody was whispering to you saying like I have this really good idea, <laughs> you know, and you're like, yeah. Oh, like, let me, let me tune into that frequency. Let me adjust, you know, to that channel. And, uh-huh. um, and then, you know, the ideas that were, that I was hearing from this voice, it was like, I like that, you know, I, I really like that. And it, yeah. it started feeling yeah. like, uh-huh. I mean, I hate to use the a bathroom analogy, but it, it started feeling like, you know, I need to go to the bathroom, but I, I'm not near one, so I'm just going to, like, hold it for a while. And yeah, the more you don't go, the more it starts building up. And and each day I started saying to myself, I should really be writing this down. Yeah. I kept not doing it. You take a big crazy dump, (laughs) so to speak. And then one day I decided to just get it. It it started being, like, almost, um, like, I felt, like, haunted by it. Mm. You know, because it was just, I kept saying to myself, there's got to be a reason for all these weird thoughts coming into my head and I can't figure out why and so finally I decided you know I'm going to do something about this and I got myself a little notebook and it was like going to the bathroom when you know you were releasing after you had built up yeah and I mean and it and I mean it just it just felt like holy shit there's so much in there and there's so much you know more I'm sorry, that's kind of a... <laughs> Colonic creativity know, with Jeffrey Dicker. <laughs> no, you started a new craze there. No, that's really great. I think you should do that as a, you know, like, colonic creativity. <laughs> <laughs> Got a shit? Yeah. <laughs> Just don't flush yet, folks. <laughs> no, that's, that's a good analogy, yeah. <laughs> Leave the toilet, Doug. So, yeah, and um, this leads us on to, because, you know, I don't know if I discussed this with you last time, but I uh, I do, since this last year shutdown as well, I've started fasting a lot more regularly, water fasting, for like uh, sometimes five, seven days, or even the occasional 14-day one. Uh, and some of that has been a practical use. I did lose the weight that I, I put on, on unnecessarily. Uh, and, but, uh, again, you did or did not? Sorry? You did or did not lose I, the weight? I, I did. I did. I lost three and a half stone, which I'd unnecessarily put on in the previous 18 months. Um, I won't go into that. <laughs> but um, yeah, and then I, I kind of, the more I read and researched about fasting, which I've been doing for years, and I don't recommend it to anybody just to, just to try and do it because it's like trying to just trying to just run a marathon. 
you can't do it you've got to train and train for months and maybe years to work up to doing a marathon and otherwise you're going to fail aren't you so what I would say is that yeah don't even attempt to do that without the right guidance the right help and understand that it's very different for uh, ladies and it is for gents to fast you know for, for many reasons so yeah the the thing is on day three of a water fast that's the magic number is day three on day three your appetite hunger kind of thing goes you, your brain and body stops detoxifying so any headaches and aches and pains will go and you get this tremendous immaculate clarity in your mind as well so uh and then your body switches to ketosis so from burning your, your, your glucose and your food and stuff it switches to the fat you, you feel you've already got in your body at that point, you're like, whoa, I feel alive. And that state from day three onwards is like a meditative state, but all the time. And I've noticed that from years of meditating, I would I would learn to be in a meditative state in things I was doing day to day. So in, in kind of like with mindfulness on the back of that. Now, we're all just human. You know, I'm not, I'm not nothing special on that. And I just, I've just been doing it you longer. You are something special, actually. Yeah, I've just been, <laughs> just been doing it longer than other people. And all I'm there to say to, to help guide people is, yeah, it's like anything else. The earlier you start, the better you're going to be. That's all yeah. it is. None of us are special in that way. And all I've, I've got to the point where, with my health issues of the past years, they, they aren't troubling me like they used to do because it, it becomes the ultimate health hack. And if you look at likes like Dr. Mark Hyman as a functional doctor, you see him on YouTube and others as well. And, and um, Dave Asprey, I think it is, is an author. And uh, Stephen Booner, they all write and talk about fasting in far more knowledgeable ways than I do. But, um, you know, they take it back to the Native American vision quest where they put you in a cave to fast with just water for like five days. And then you'd have to work out for your tribe or your community how to solve the problems. So, yeah, it, it, it all links back for me. Um, and we've got, I think we've got so much to discover in this time where things are so fucked up. We've got so much to discover about ourselves. And oh, the, totally. And these things like meditation and fasting and even to some extent the correct clinical use of psychedelics or in a therapeutic background, those are things that are going to take us forwards. Yeah, in my opinion, it's not going to be a reform of politics, which is needed, or reforming the banks, or, or trying to fix what has been broken for so long. It's what's in here, what's in here. In Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it, 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 thinking about the world, you know, as a, you know, as a balloon, you know, the, yeah. the, there's a little pin that is holding this, all the air in. And all yeah. that humanity needs to do is just pull this little tiny pin out. It's not, it's not something that's... Mm -hmm. You know, we don't need to go. We don't need to have a revolution. We don't need to like yeah. kill everybody. We. It's just. It's just a, a change in mind shift. You know. Yeah. We, um, need, we need an inward revolution, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, well, if, revelation. If everybody truly, you know, if on social media people truly were social with each other yeah. and actually were respectful to each other it's, instead of the way it actually is, which is this illusion media. that we have, like, oh, I can. I mean, like. It's cool that I can connect with you in England and being in Los Angeles over a over a you know little text. You know, it's it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. But if you know people start abusing that with you know being nasty to each other mm. and I'm right and you're wrong and I don't, I'm not interested in your opinion. I'm only interested in mine. Um, all well, these kind, like kind of negative t types of things. We're, 
it's it's more of a detriment actually because now I'm worried that some person I don't know in England is pissed off at me because I've said something horrible and and yeah, then that bad vibes. Typically, you know spurs off a chain of events that just you know it's that whole thing of like you had a bad day at work you go home and you kick the dog and then the mm. dog pisses on the floor yeah. and then you beat your wife because you're pissed and it's mm. like that that whole it's like break the chain don't kick your dog mm. don't beat your wife love your dog um, love your wife think, think, to yourself, <laughs> think to yourself what did i do what can i correct you know mm. i can, what i can correct is the way i handled that bad day at work yeah yeah your attitude yeah. and, and it, it yeah. is a shame when it, it becomes what i call unsocial media and when it becomes to facebook and when it becomes like that with strangers attacking strangers that that just makes me sad and then you know it's like well if I, if i am going to use it and i'm saying to my friend turning off sorry <laughs> yeah we've got a few minutes left yeah i started on facebook in 2005 and i'm still there i can't get away from it but i i'd like to try and think that if, if i can share things there it's for the right reasons and, you know, I mean, we're probably all guilty of uh, engaging with trolls for the wrong reasons in the past and trying to trying to change, change people's minds when we shouldn't have done. That's just something you learn by being on the Internet, uh, whereas, you know, you should just kind of block, ignore and delete them straight and get them out of there as soon as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Don't engage. Absolutely. I, um, I changed my relationship with that totally. I just, I, yeah. you know, I used to just like to share articles about things and, and now it's like, don't. I don't. I mean, I, no. you know, I... Yes, I would like to have a discussion about a lot of topics that I'm no longer discussing. But I just, it just, it turns into, you know, my good intention to try and it's, 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 put some information out there yeah. turns into like a disaster. And then, yeah. you know, I've got like the group of people that, you know, I've, I've never reported that I'm better than anybody else or that, you know, mm. I've, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of crazy experiences and a lot of you know experiences with famous people and and a lot of people are jealous of that and and mm. i get so much hatred about it and it's like it just turns yeah. me off completely you no, know it's not good no it's because just, i'm not I, every time i've ever posted of something i've never said you know look well, i got me. to meet so and so so that makes me better than you yeah. never ever ever and if anybody has ever taken that meaning out of my posts they're incorrect yeah. you know yeah. and um but it's it's turned me off and it sucks because i would like to be sharing more um i have lots of insight i know lots of little trivia about shit you know yeah. useless shit that even though it's useless it's at least it's not it's diverting our attention from the horribleness of the world and that's kind of where i was always coming from but mm-hmm. it's not it's not it's not um, fun for me if I'm sitting there worried that, you know, somebody that I don't know is going to like leave some crappy comment and then I come back to see it later and then it, it upset and then it ruins my day because I'm yeah. just like, why do people have to be so nasty to each other? And like, well, what have I done to you to get that response? It's, it's nothing <laughs> within you. It's, it's something within, within them that feels I know, I, in I, I understand it, but, it, but it, it, just, you know, you I'm, can't a, I'm a feeling it. person and it, it upsets me. So I don't, I don't, it, rather than just be upset, yeah. I just figure, you know what, forget it. I'll, I'll, um, if they're not going to adjust, I'll adjust. Indeed. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and then you just go back to spreading the love and things to the people that, you know, are, are kind of on a similar wavelength to you without being yeah. in your own echo chamber. Um, and yeah, I think Facebook has probably nearly seen its day now, in my opinion. There are other platforms that have come up like Float and others and there's um, 
one that begins with cold, cold something that have been I made. I think it eventually will will die off. Cold I cast. Mean, there's so many people that 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 know it, and and yeah. you know, cold cast. That's the other one. Check that out, people. Cold cast. You you'll like it, even if it's only tiny at the moment. As well as floats, but I know that the and all these alternative platforms are coming forward. Although some of them are still under attack, like BitChute and that, you know, they're just kind of the, the giants are trying to gang up on them. They are coming out, and it is a, a new a new beginning in a way. But it's yeah, it's that pull of Facebook of how many people it, it seems to have the hooks into. Um, but yeah, there are alternatives, so you can you can you can look at both. So yeah, um, I think we're probably running close to time for you before you have to get to work again <laughs> and yeah, uh, you, you, your Saturday morning like, <laughs> your Saturday so, morning um, so um, it, it'll be dark here in an hour or less uh, so yeah but yeah thank well, you so it's, much it's funny that we can sit and chat for two hours yeah pretty seamlessly and uh, uh-huh. I hope uh, we have another two hour session in our, in our near future because yeah, uh, definitely. We've got it's time. always good to talk to you and I mean indeed I, feel that there's like so many things we never even scratched the surface of discussing so um, yeah um, and we didn't mention Morrissey once <laughs> so anyway so yeah no just kidding folks um that's our personal perversions um right so okay so it only remains for me to to thank you uh so much for doing this and oh, um, thank you I I like I said I mean being, it's, it's so great to talk to you and um you know if if we can one of the things I say in my books, or I don't say it in the books, but like one of the things yeah. that I, mm-hmm. one of the reasons I write books is, yeah. I may not have a global empire, but when <laughs> I make one person, when I make one person's life better, when I make one person smile, mm. it's better than nothing. Oh yeah, you know. And yeah. with you know with, with this, it's like if we can take one person and just not convince them of anything, but mm. make them have the wherewithal to open up their heart and mind and say, mm-hmm. Oh my God, I never even thought about that before. Yeah. Yeah. That, it's it. all worth it. That's you know, it. I mean, let the people that, you know, sell out stadiums, sell out stadiums, you mm-hmm. know, and hopefully they spread a message. that's not bad because yeah. a lot of them that sell out stadiums now spread shitty messages, <laughs> but course. you know, um, one person at a time, you know, if you can make one person rock, if you can rock their world, great, you know, yeah. That's, so, that's, that's all I try to do is just, just to bring a little bit of something to, to people to make them think in different directions, different ways, you know, because yeah. gra- gradually, gradually, slowly, slowly we, we'll evolve despite whatever anybody in any um, group or corporation or government or, uh, or, you know, kind of whether the 1% or globalists or whatever, no matter what they try and herd us into doing, it, it will never be as powerful as what we as humans can pass on through wisdom and, 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 and things to, to each other, to, you know, to, to explore about ourselves and to encourage each other. That's always a more powerful force. It may be the quieter, more subtle one, but that, that's truly what I believe. So every author, every musician, every artist, poet, uh, every dancer, everybody that, that, to my mind, has a much greater effect because it's a, it's a subtle ripple composed mainly of love and loving intentions. Whereas the fear of the mainstream media, which is the kind of like military arm of the globalists, if you like, the, the psychological military arm of the globalists, is just like fear, you know, build bigger walls, you know, I'm going into Bill Hicks mode now, <laughs> he's like, build big, you know, and, you know, barricade yourself in your home with seven masks on and kind of like wait for the vaccine and then, you know, and all, and all this kind of fear. So it's kind of like two forces and it, yeah, it's good because 
you know, in the end, there is only going to be one winner. Um, and, you know, and people, that winner is love. Yeah, and always. <laughs> and you'll see through, eventually, people will see through, um, you know, but it's just going to take a lot longer than we maybe anticipated. But that's all right. I feel that, that, I feel that uh, you know, hundreds of years from now, this little period of history oh, God, is going to be a blip on the map where they go, oh, that was a period oh, of upheaval and change. Geez. Whereas now we're living through it and feeling the, the, the pull. Yeah, yeah. But yes, eventually, yes. you know, I it's, mean, because what the, the, the sad thing is, is that every single thing that, uh, every institution we know needs to be dis- disassembled and reassembled. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to take a lot of years and a lot of people are going to mm. be destabilized. Go through right? hardships and yeah. tragedy to get to this point. But it's... it will it will come out the other side eventually. You yeah. Know? yeah. Hopefully we're... we're around to see it. We'll see. Yeah, we're in that, yeah, that space between paradigms at the moment on, on so many different paradigms that it's kind of like a, a big melting pot in, in, in one fashion. So yeah, there we go. We've nearly put we the world to right. problems once again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, is there anything that you'd just like to say in conclusion to anybody listening, uh, watching, Jeffrey? Just would like to thank everybody for watching. Thank you for having me on your show. Uh, oh, can't wait to do it again. Yeah. And um, and yeah, in bad company is coming out very soon. Hopefully, well, but it'll definitely mm-hmm. be out by the next time we talk. <laughs> yeah, check it out. And it's, it's <laughs> yeah, I just want to do one more like. I wrote it right before COVID-19 and mm. I just want to just, there's a lot of scenarios in a sense that like won't happen anymore because yeah. we're not going back to offices. So I just kind of, I, I did put that preface in the book, but um, I just want to make sure that there's, you know, I need to just read it one more time because it's been a while since I've looked at it. So, mm. um, so it, but it'll be out. I just got to, <laughs> you know, make some time. So Fantastic. Okay. So uh, thank you for everybody joining us at home whether you're watching this on BitChute or it might be on YouTube this one I might break my rule and put this one on YouTube because it's been fairly clean <laughs> by my standards so hopefully we'll get kicked off YouTube um, we, didn't, we didn't talk about five of my first initial oh no Cinco Pé <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think while we're good we're not going to get censored we may have some controversial opinions but we we did not bring those words into existence EMF were yeah. a great band in the 90s yeah. they, they oh. were and they were unbelievable unbelievable <laughs> <laughs> so yeah let's not go there we already, already mentioned the V word earlier so alright okay so thank you once more see you out there in internet land thank you for watching and um, uh, we'll, be, we'll be back we'll be back thanks all for watching and goodbye for now Ah, so fantastic for uh, Jeffrey Dicker to join us there from uh, Los Angeles and for him to give us a preview, a little sneak peek of his new book, uh, which does sound really excellent. And I'm sure we'll be speaking to him again on on different subjects, Uh, but just remains me to thank you for listening. And, uh, you know, obviously you can find uh, the podcast and all good podcasting uh, stations and sites. Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, uh, CastBox, Breaker, Anchor, and and many, many others as well. So thanks again for for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Cheerio.